welcome back to Maturing the Bride. Again, my name is Bob Shogren, and my goal is to give you the big picture of what I believe God is doing for all eternity future. And the series is here to challenge you unless you understand what God is doing for all eternity future, you're never going to quite really know how to live your life here on this earth. And most churches are focused on these 80 or so years here on this earth, how you're to live and how God's going to bless you and what you can be doing. And they can miss the bigger picture of what God is doing. I'm saying that God is looking for a bride for his son. This whole experiment here on this earth is that God is looking for a bride for his son. In our last time together, we learned that love loves to love. Love loves to love. God, who is love, loves to love. And that love was spilling out, not only in the Trinity, but then he says, I got to create a creation that I can love on. I want to love on them and I want to have such an intimate relationship like a bride and a groom that we will have this oneness together for all eternity. Men and women, simple. It's so simple. God is looking for a bride for his son. But just as we talked about in the church in Kenya with the woman, I asked her, she's looking for brides for her son. Do you want mature brides or immature brides? She said, oh, I want mature brides for my son. I said, I think that's what God the Father wants. God is looking for a mature bride for his son. And our job, our challenge, our goal here on this earth is to mature as a believer so that we can be a part of the bride for his son. And in the simple way of looking at the scriptures, we said, don't let's not miss something that's so easy to see. First off, there was a marriage at the beginning of the Bible. There's a marriage at the end of the Bible, and in the middle of the Bible, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. This is all about a wedding. Adam and Eve in the beginning, Jesus and the church at the end, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Men and women, salvation Getting saved, getting a relationship with God is merely a stepping stone to something far greater, far bigger, far more important. Most of the church, I challenged the last time in the teaching, is so focused on getting people saved, we forget about maturing them. My wife found this out. We had a young lady at our church who got baptized. She called her up a week later. We were kind of new to the church. She said, has anybody met with you? No. Anybody followed up? No. Well, would you like to get together? Well, sure. And so she ended up having a three-year relationship discipling that woman, and her life was totally changed because she began to meet with Debbie. Discipleship is so key. Getting them to pray a prayer is one thing. Getting them to mature and to grow is something totally different. Your goal as a believer is to mature. Your goal as a believer is to mature. Your goal is to mature. That's your goal. Why? We're going to be a part of the bride. But what are we going to be doing as his bride? That's what this whole second teaching is about. What are we going to be doing as the bride? What are we going to be doing as his bride? In order to try to explain that to you, I'm going to show you a simple little graphic. It's very simple. It just says, think ahead. 
Now, I had the privilege of teaching some homeschool kids this, and as I showed these homeschool kids this graphic, they looked at it and they didn't know what to make of it, and then they said, oh, I get it. The person who made the graph didn't think ahead. <laughs> Very good. They got it. They didn't think ahead in making the brochure or the, the you know, bumper sticker that said, think ahead. Men and women, this is not God. This is not God. God thinks ahead. God has looked into eternity future and determined what he wanted. And as a result, he's working backwards. He's been thinking ahead. Now, in order to help you understand what this is about, I'm going to lay a very simple foundation. And this foundation, in order to get you to, to see how much God is thinking ahead, I'm going to lay this foundation. I'm going to get you to think about beetles. That's right. Beetles. You mean those little bugs that, yeah, those. How many different types of beetles did God create? How many different types of beetles did God create? God is putting his glory on display in four dimensions. And one of the ways he put his glory on display was with the beetle. How, how many different types of beetles did God create? I ask my audiences this. Some will say, I don't know, a couple hundred. 500, 1,000, 5,000, one said, I don't know, maybe even 10,000. 10,000 different types of beetles, that's a lot. You want to know the answer? 350,000 different types of beetles. Men and women, when God went to put his glory on display through the beetle, he did it big. Big. That's our God. That's the God we worship. He's a big God with a big vision. When God does something, he does it big. And so what do you think he's thinking for all of eternity future with the bride? Is it going to be some small little role that we play? No, 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 no. I want to challenge you. His plans for his bride are big. They're big. You drop your mouth in awe. I can't believe what God thought up for eternity future for us to do. So what is his bride going to be doing? That's the whole purpose of this lecture, this talk. And so let's get into it. What is his bride going to be doing? Our answer is found in partial in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 7. It says these words. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Obviously, the key words are there underlined, fellow heirs with Christ. Christ. Other scriptures translated, other versions translated as co-heir. We are a co-heir with Christ. What's a co-heir? Well, a co-heir is defined as anyone who shares an inheritance with one or more other people. 
So I've got three siblings. Both of my parents died. After my mom died, she had all the uh, wealth from our, my dad. After he died, she got it. And then when she died, it got passed down to us four kids. And so we each got a quarter of the pie. We each got one-fourth of the inheritance from my parents. We were co-heirs from my parents. We're co-heirs with Christ. In other words, whatever Christ inherits, we inherit. Okay, then what does Christ inherit? What does Christ inherit? Hmm, Hebrews talks about that. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. All things. When I'm speaking with my audiences, I ask them, hey, what are all things? And they always say, well, everything. I say, I oh, can't just say everything. What are all things? And they kind of look at me and I say, what about the trees? Yeah, he gets those. What about the mountains? Yeah, he gets those. What about the animals? Yeah, he gets those. What about Africa? Because I'm usually in Africa, the whole continent. Yeah, 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 he gets what? What about North America? Yeah, well, you mean he gets the whole earth? Well, yeah, he gets the earth. Well, what about Mercury, Venus, Mars? Well, yeah, he gets those planets too. Well, what about our whole solar system? Well, yeah, he gets the whole solar system too. Well, our, our solar system is in the Milky Way galaxy. Does he get the Milky Way galaxy? Well, yeah, he gets the Milky Way galaxy. Well, the Milky Way galaxy is one of hundreds of billions of galaxies. Does he get all those galaxies too? Yes, he, he, he gets all those galaxies. You mean the universe? Well, yeah, the, the universe. Christ inherits the universe? Yeah, they say. That's incredible. Why? If Christ inherits the universe, therefore that means that we inherit the universe as well as his bride. <laughs> we, the bride of Christ, inherit the universe as well? Yep. When God does something, he does it big. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Seriously. We, we, his bride, inherit the universe. Does that not blow you away? Men and women, heaven isn't just getting up there and then kicking your feet up on a cloud and resting and eating grapes your whole for eternity future. No, we're inheriting the universe. That must mean there's something for us to do. But a better question is, but why is he doing that? Why are we inheriting the universe? What's this really all about? Great question, even though you didn't ask it. I put it in there for me. Hey, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 talks about this. Paul talks about why we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Why we're going to get to heaven and be seated with Christ. He says, there's a reason. There's a reason for it. Let's find out what it says. Ephesians 2. And he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that. Okay, here it comes. Purpose statement. Here's why you and I are saved. Here's why you and I are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms in order that. What is it, Paul? In order that. 
in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what does that mean? It means in order that in the coming ages, so for all of eternity future, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in his kindness in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to see something here. Here, I've, uh, I, I've, I go to my audiences. I say, now, in this purpose statement, I want you to hold your hands up and keep me fist closed. And on one hand, I want you to count how many times God refers to himself. And on the other hand, how many times God refers to us in the purpose statement. Are you ready? And they say, yeah, yeah, okay, we're ready. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us, in Christ Jesus. So I say to my audiences, how many times did God refer to himself? And they, they say, four. How many times did God refer to us? Once. Yes, four times God refers to himself. Once he refers to us and we say, heaven's all about us, baby. It's all about what we get. Streets paved with gold. I can't wait to go. No. We missed 80% of what heaven is about. Men and women, 80% of what heaven is about is about what God gets to do. It's not about us. What does God get to do? Well, he gets to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. That verb to show in the Greek is endikneume. Endikneume means to point out, to show, demonstrate, prove, whether by arguments or by acts to manifest, display, put forth. Men and women, I want to challenge you that God, in all of eternity future, wants to display, put forth, to prove, to live out His grace. He wants to live out His grace. That's what He wants to do. And He wants to display that grace forever. He wants to display, he wants to show off his grace forever. That's the God we worship. That's the God we serve. That's the God who does something big. Now, try to help you to understand this. If, if, if this is earth here, we've got earth down there in the lower left-hand part for however long this earth is here, 8,000 years, 8 billion years, doesn't matter. Uh, and then there's an eternity future. When Christ comes back, the earth is destroyed. We get a new heavens and a new earth. There's all of eternity future. What God is saying in that passage is that for all of eternity future, he wants to put his grace on display forever, forever. That's what he wants to do. He wants to show off, to live out, to put on display his grace forever in the ages to come. Now, how is he going to do that? Well, that's the question. How is he going to do that? So I tell my audiences, I, I want you to try to think. Just think in your own mind. Think of what God could do to really show off his grace. And I challenge them. I say, you've really got to think outside the box. Don't think inside the box. You've got to think outside the box. And so I ask for hands for volunteers. So slowly, you know, they're a little hesitant. And then finally someone raises their hand and says, um, uh, he could love us. I say, way inside the box. Way inside the box. Somebody else. Uh, let us know his son. Way inside the box. 
Uh, forgive us of our sins, way inside the box. Uh, give us a relationship with them, I said way inside the box. They're, they're stuck. They don't know what to say. They don't want to do. They're, they know I'm going somewhere. They don't know where I'm going. So they just give up. I said, well, let me help you out. Uh, could he make us gods? They say, no. No, he couldn't make us gods. I say, you're right. He couldn't make us gods. But what could he do just short of that? And if usually someone says it, but if not, I help them along. I say, what about rule and reign with him? And they kind of look weird. I mean, rule and reign with him? Yeah. What if God allows us to rule and reign with him forever? That's grace. That's huge. That's big. Men and women, what will we be doing with Christ throughout the universe as the bride? I want to challenge you. We're going to be ruling and reigning over the universe. We're going to be ruling and reigning over the universe. God's got big plans for us for all eternity future because he wants to put his grace on display. That's big. That's huge. That's our God. That's what he's doing. We, as the bride, are going to be ruling and reigning over the universe with Christ. But is it scriptural? Is it in the scriptures? Is there anything more specific in the scriptures? Yes, there's a, there is. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Listen to these words. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, also as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. So the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Men and women, what do you do from a throne? You rule and you reign. Christ says, if you conquer, if you finish strong, you're going to rule and you're going to reign with me. Now, a throne, scripturally, always has three things associated with it. Number one, someone's in charge, someone's sitting on the throne. Number two, there is territory to govern. And number three, there are citizens to govern. God's, Jesus says, hey, if you finish strong, you're going to sit with me on my throne, just as I sat down with my father on his throne. That was Revelation 3. Revelation 2, 26. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over nations. Authority over nations? Yeah, that's what Christ is saying. Authority over nations. 2 Timothy 2, 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. We're going to reign? Yeah. Like rule and reign? Yeah. Sit on a throne reign? Yeah. Over what? Over the universe. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We have come to share in Christ. The verb share in Christ is the Greek verb medikos. It can also be translated accurately as it is in Luke chapter 5 verse 7. Partner. Partners. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Partner, the medikos. 
So you could accurately translate Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, for we have come to partner with Christ. Partner with Christ. Partner with Christ? What are we going to be partnering with Christ doing? Oh, yeah, ruling and reigning over the universe. Big. 350,000 different types of people. Big. That kind of big. Ruling and reigning. Men and women, heaven is not a 24-hour worship service. Please, please get this through your head. Heaven is not a 24-hour worship service. I had a bunch of, of uh, 14, 15, 16-year-olds here in the studio, and I, I did what I called digging deepers back in those days with my son Hunter and his friends. Uh, for 24 hours, we'd have the kids. We'd feed them dinner on a Friday night. We'd give them three hours in the Word Friday night. They'd all sleep over in separate rooms. Then Saturday morning, we'd feed them breakfast four hours in the Word Saturday morning, get lunch, and then three hours in the afternoon, 10 hours in the Word over a 24-hour period. I called it Digging Deeper. And I did one on heaven. And I asked the, these kids, I said, what do you think heaven's going to be like? And, and the one girl said, uh, I think it's going to be like my, my church service, my, my worship service. I said, okay, okay. So we went through all the teaching on it. And she came back to me at the very end. She says, I am so glad heaven is not like my worship service. She says, it's going to be so exciting. Yeah, when you understand, it's going to be exciting. So much more exciting than a 24-hour worship service. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews talks about those great people of faith. And as the great people of faith gave things up, he says this. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, why would he say a city? He, he's preparing heaven for them. Wait, he just made an analogy that heaven is like a city. Yes, that's exactly it. You caught it. Heaven is like a city. Well, what do cities have? Well, uh, cities have buildings. And cities have streets, homes. Cities have parks. Cities have malls. Cities have restaurants. Cities have a government. Cities have sports. A 24-hour worship service? Gag me with a spoon. Listen, after 45 minutes of worship in my church, I'm like, could we please move on? I'm a little tired of, of the singing. 24 hours in heaven singing? I couldn't take it. God says, I got so much more for you than that. Worship is going to be a part of it, but so much more. Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul knew about this when he wrote 1 Corinthians. He said, and do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We're going to be judging the world? That's what Paul's saying. He kind of says this like, duh, you're supposed to know this. Don't you know that we're going to judge the world? But he goes on. He didn't stop there. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Don't you know that we are to judge angels? What? We're going to be judging angels. We're going to be ruling and reigning over angels. Are you sure? Paul said it, not me. It's right there in the text. We're going to judge angels, judging you're in control, right and wrong. You're ruling, you're governing over angels. Oh, men and women. Salvation is just a stepping stone to something very.
very, very big. That big goal to rule and to reign. And so he says, now that you're saved, I want you to mature. I want you to mature. Because I'm going to put you in charge of something extremely big. You need to be mature in order to do what I want you to do. Your goal as a believer is to mature. Because you, as the bride, are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ over the universe. Now my wife agrees with his teaching and loves it, but says, I really don't want to rule and reign. Her primary gift is hospitality. I said, Debbie, you're going to be primarily doing hospitality and loving on people for all of eternity. Doing exactly what you've been gifted to do. The gifts that you have here on this earth, you're going to be using them in heaven. Mature with them. Get to know your gifts. Use them. God gave them to you here so that you could use them there for all eternity. Mature. Mature. This is the big picture. This is the big picture of what God wants. Grow deep intimacy in your love with Christ. Mature in your relationship with him. Mature in making good decisions. Mature in justice. Mature in taking care of the poor. Mature in loving others to prepare you to rule and to reign. Well, that was our second lecture. In our next time together, we're going to ask this question. When did God think this up? When did God think up the idea of having a bride for his son and ruling and reigning? And once you understand when he thought it up, oh, so much fits together in your understanding of the big picture. Welcome again to maturing the Bride. The Maturing the Bride series has been brought to you by Unveiling Glory. Unveiling Glory is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which simply means <laughs> we're really good at not making money. Yet we seek to live out our message, hence we give all of our Maturing the Bride materials away for free. This also means we live by faith. If you feel led by God to join us in getting this message out, Please go to www.givetoug.com. That's www.givetounveilingglory.com. We would really appreciate it. From there, you can click to our primary website where you'll find our store. You'll also find books, notes, audios, and other items. Please also check out the other ministries we have in other parts of the world that you might want to get involved in. We do anything from discipling women, to feeding the poor, to helping girls with their monthly hygiene, to training pastors, empowering women, and much more. Oh, and don't forget, if you homeschool, we have eight years of Bible curriculum for you and your kids. They go anywhere from kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. Check them out at www.catanddogtheology.org. I hope this has been a huge blessing to you. Thanks.